women who are already victims of domestic violence are going to be more monitored, more controlled. The perpetrator is going to have another avenue to further his abuse and control of her. All can lead to a perfect storm if not managed well, if not managed safely. Welcome to CQ University Commentary, the podcast bringing you our experts to explore and dissect issues that affect you, your family and your community. Subscribe now so you don't miss an episode and join the conversation on CQ University social media. This episode was recorded during the global coronavirus outbreak. As a result, CQ University has dedicated the first season of this podcast to focus on conversations about the issues from COVID-19 that you may not have considered, but are still changing the world we live in today. In following social distancing advice from the government, our interviewers and experts conducted these conversations remotely, so you may experience a lower quality of audio recording. Visit the CQ University website for more information on our response to COVID-19 and advice for students and staff. How might our government policies responding to COVID-19 affect women who are victims of domestic violence where home is already an unsafe space? That's a question from CQ University domestic violence researcher, Dr. Brian Sullivan, who joins me today. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here, Jess. Thanks for the invitation. Now, Brian, you've reflected on some possible consequences of this particular scenario. Now, would you care to share uh, share with me, sorry, what some of these consequences are in terms of social distancing? Well, I think in terms of social distancing and with the um, social isolation, um, there's a very real possibility that women who are already victims of domestic violence are going to be more monitored, more controlled. Um, Abuse will increase of these women because the perpetrators, their partners, their intimate partners are more likely to be in lockdown with them. And I think that's been found in places like China, France, um, the USA, where increases of domestic violence reporting has occurred because of COVID-19. I'm not saying COVID-19 is causing this upsurge. Uh, It's giving abusive men another avenue with which to abuse, another strategy that they can use to abuse her. Okay. And you um, mentioned before uh, our podcast recording that there have been some new statistics uh, released that show that domestic violence uh, reporting has actually decreased. Now, to somebody who is not familiar in uh, with this space and you see that on a news report, you would think that would be great news. But there is an underlining issue to this, isn't there? Well, there is. And um, I think in other states in Australia, they have seen an increase. I think the most recent Queensland um, statistics have shown a slight decrease of reporting of domestic violence incidents. But it's as the police commissioner in Queensland has has feared, um, her, her take on this is that it's because the perpetrator is in the home with the victim her avenue, her pathways to reporting um, the abuse have been blocked off. And um, we will see, I believe, an increase in those statistics in the the days, the weeks, the months to come. And um, that's where the true reality of the extent of the abuse will appear. 
because in domestic violence situations, they would be looking to uh, conduct confidential conversations with service providers, maybe outside of the home. So, um, would would um, the fact that they're now being encouraged to to use, you know, phones and video telecommunication tools, be hindering the their ability, um, victims' ability to report these situations? I would think it makes the reporting of the abuse much more riskier for her because she is very much under his surveillance, under his control, while they both share the same space in the house. And um, he's going to be watching her, I would think, like a hawk and, and, and monitoring her use of phones, her use of uh, computers, etc. We We know already we've heard reports of men stating to partners that they're COVID-19 positive. So you have to stay in lockdown with me for the next two weeks. You can't go anywhere because you'll um, be at risk of spreading the disease. So that's a way he's using COVID-19 to keep control over her. Um, we know of cases where women are saying they, are, they fear going out to emergency departments at hospitals because if they have been injured by a DV assault, they're afraid of catching COVID-19 if they leave the house. So there's a whole lot of um, um, variables at play here that are being used by perpetrators to um, further their abuse and their violence against their intimate partners. Okay, so it sounds like there's a lot of unknowns and unanswered questions um, as we face this difficult time. Now, this leads me to the topic of keeping abusers accountable during COVID-19. So you recently helped inform the Red Rose Foundation's Eyes On approach to help keep offenders accountable. Now, this approach is broken down into four main categories. So it's police, probation and parole, men's behavioural change programs and courts. Now, in terms of what measures should or need to be taken by police, um, can you please uh, share with us what those might be? Well, these are only my opinion, of course. And um, what I'm seeing is that a lot of men's programs are now closing up shop. They're not meeting as as groups as they are. Uh, previously were because of the COVID-19 risk and the, the social distancing. So a lot of men's domestic violence intervention programs um, where men have been sent there, many of them by courts, by domestic violence order conditions, etc., are not available now. So we find that in the sector, program staff are ringing men. They may be trialling online um, work with these men and the research to support the safety of that is uh, is not really very positive. If a man is on an online program and something escalates him or aggravates him by what the facilitators or other men say and he's still living in the house with the partner, mm-hmm. we've got no control over how how he behaves towards her when that, clo- that, when that um, video link is closed. So what I would be saying is that, firstly, we need to have, as we normally have in this space, an integrated service response. So that means okay. the, resp- the responsibility for dealing with 
um, these men is not solely on the men's intervention program. The, the focus should be on a whole of community response. So that includes courts. It includes police. It includes probation and parole. It includes child safety. It includes women's advocates who are part generally of men's programs in most places. So I would be saying, first and foremost, we should be having a a non-violence accountability plan that is prepared and and um, organised by this whole community meeting. So my point would be that police, courts, probation and parole, child safety, men's services who are operating the program, women's services need to sit down and develop a plan of operation. I, I think... Um, obviously everyone's trying to do their own bit, but it could become a risk of being very fragmented in its approach. The whole of community response should have eyes on these men. So I would think um, if possible, police should be made known of who the men in the group are, even if they're not court ordered. Police should know who, who is who in that group. I also believe that these men should be asked to report to police during the interim of the of the COVID-19 um, lockdown, obviously when this can be done safely for all, and um, that anyone who has a breach of a domestic violence order should be reporting more often, maybe twice a week. So, so police can keep their eyes on these men and, and how they're progressing during this time. Um, if men are already on probation and parole, I would hope that maybe probation and parole can step up here and, and men could um, have an additional check-in weekly for, for monitoring um, from probation and parole. So my point here, and, and I'm, not, I'm not definite about how it should be done, but these are some ideas, yep. that um, it's, it's not a time to back away from perpetrators and to keep them invisible, it's actually a time to do more, not less, in creative ways of monitoring and supervising men. Okay. And is there a responsibility on, say, group facilitators of men's behavioural change programs to sort of step up to the plate as well um, and provide some feedback or ideas into that, you know, whole of community approach? Well, I think there's a responsibility on all of us in the community to make sure that we're keeping women and children safe during this time and that we're keeping perpetrators accountable. From my, from my position where I am, and um, um, I'm in contact with a number of men's programs, I know that they are working overtime. I know that okay. facilitators are on the phone. They're on video links with uh, many of these men and really trying to connect and contain these men during this time and um, uh, are really working long hours on the phone um, more than ever before mm-hmm. um, in, in, in looking at creative ways to work with these men during these difficult days. Okay. Well, that that's... Um good to know that you know, it is that, good to that know. stepping up to the plate is already taking place. And, and also, you know, can I say women's services are doing similarly with their clients? And it's very, very important, I would think, during this time for women's advocates, we're safe to make contact with women who are victim survivors of domestic violence to, to ensure that those women don't feel cut off 
don't feel even more isolated than they are. And, and, and it may give them an avenue to report ongoing abuse so that victims advocates may be able to do something about that for them. Okay. And um, do you think a victim's safety um, has been considered um, when high-risk offenders are released back into the community? So if they're not going to these behavioural programs that have that face-to-face interaction and they are being released and they might not be attending their online sessions, do you believe, yeah, a victim's safety has come into account there? Well, I'm sure it's been um, front and centre on on most agendas um, mm-hmm. that, I, that I'm aware of. I think what we need to do, though, in terms of our focus on the perpetrators, we need to be very clear about what his context is. Okay. So, and by that, I mean, is he at home with her or is he on his own now? Is he at home with children um, who are in the household also? Is he actually working? Some, In some cases, men may be out of the house because they're working more because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are the state of poverty in that household in terms of food supplies, medical supplies, um, daily supplies that, that families need to operate? How difficult is it for him um, in that situation um, and for her in that situation to buy food and supplies? I think as well as the context, we need to know for him and in his area of Queensland or Australia, um, what, what are the social responses like for him? Um, are police responding to calls? Are probation and parole available to him? Is child safety aware of any further or increased risks? Um, does she have access to women's services? Is the court in their area still functioning in any way, shape or form? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, of course, I think we have to look at, obviously, his level of risk. And I know that's what facilitators are doing in many of the programs. They're checking on his level of risk, his level of of dangerousness towards her. And in terms of what are the stresses in that household, what are the stresses that he's facing and she's facing in terms of the social isolation, in terms of fear of getting sick, in terms of if there was any mental health issues there, are they being aggravated and increased by COVID? Um, what about any misinformation that might be in that household, like him telling her that he's COVID-19 positive when he's mm-hmm. not, like him giving her false information about what she can and can't do? What about the increased um, stresses and strains on families where a perpetrator is in the household if, if there's a, a lot of children home um, from school now at this time? Uh, children's risk increasing at this time too. So... You know, those areas, um, his level of risk, the context, the the terms of, of what social support is available and the increased stresses that he's facing and that, that um, she's facing during this time all can lead to a perfect storm if, if not managed well, if not managed safely. Wow. It's um, definitely not an easy fix, is it? There's a lot of things to consider. A lot of layers and a lot of complications and a very uh, large amount of complexity in how we respond as a community to these people. Enjoying this episode? Subscribe to Seek University Commentary on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts for more. And remember to rate, review and share.
Um, what we do know is that when there's any natural disasters, um, mm -hmm. cy cyclones, bushfires, hurricanes overseas, earthquakes, etc., there has been um, a, um, a, an evidence of a spike in, in domestic violence. So we know in times of, of social stress, these, these other um, issues can arise. So it shouldn't surprise us that it's going to rise at this time. But I think you're right. I don't think we've had a, a, a pre-planned crisis plan ready mm -hmm. to go, ready to go um, when, when these events occur. And um, if we had such, and, and this is why I think in the aftermath of COVID-19, we need to sit down as a state and as a country and mm -hmm. look, look at the learnings and look at the failures and look at maybe what has worked and then make an ongoing available crisis plan that we can use as a community into the future. Yeah, that's consistent across all states. Exactly. Okay, well, this, you know, this pandemic that we're, we're currently living through is not only influencing, I guess, future plans that we need to put in place for um, domestic violence situations, but is it also influencing what we teach now in terms of domestic violence? So will these um, sort of responsive aspects be integrated into the, the learning and teaching? You said that no sort of research has taken place in this field. It, it, does it have the ability to sort of change the research landscape as well? I think it will have to. And um, some positive learnings may come out of this that um, is going to be useful for education of people who work in this area into the future. Um, what COVID-19 has done is we were entering into a very important phase, I think, of a turning point in Queensland and Australia with the recent family annihilation that happened in Camp Hill in Brisbane with the incineration of, of Hannah Clark and her children. And COVID-19 took that horror story off our front pages in some ways, sadly. Um, obviously, you know, COVID-19 is another huge issue that we have to deal with and, and very, very urgently um, we need to do that. But I would hope that turning point that we were coming to, I believe, in addressing domestic violence in Queensland and in Australia um, will be able to be re restarted and mm -hmm. um, and that 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 turning point will continue to help change the responses help change the ending for for women and children into the future and of course help change men in Australia too who are yes domestic violence abusers. Of course. And that, that's another aspect of the situation too. You know, you've got the victim safety in terms of situations like this, but you've also got, you know, the, the behaviour of, of men and sort of what goes into that too to get them back on track as well. Let's hope that things progress and, yeah, we see this as an opportunity to better our plans and our systems for, for the benefit of, of victims and, and children all around Australia and the world. Exactly. 
Well, thank you very much, Brian, for sharing with me today some really interesting insights. Talking to you today puts a different perspective on on some news articles you read online or even some reports we're we're seeing on TV, which which is great. You know, this is this is the stuff that we need to be he- hearing. It it might be um, tough to hear, but it's um yeah, it's great to know that we're working. Um, to be prepared down the track. And, you know, I'm sure our listeners appreciate um, what you've put forward today as well. So thank you very much. And thanks for your insightful questions, Jess. No worries. And um, until next time, stay safe. And um, I'm sure I'll chat to you in the future. Good on you. Thank you, Jess. 